Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us is Tom Jocelyn with the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies and Weekly Standard Contributor. Tom, uh, we're going to talk about ISIS in the big picture, but I'm just curious about Secretary Hagel saying today that the attempted hostage rescue in in, uh, Syria went off, quote, flawlessly. And when asked specifically, well, about the intelligence failure, the hostages weren't there, he said the intelligence was great. I'm trying to make this make sense. Well, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, obviously, it didn't go flawlessly if we didn't recover the hostages, and that was the whole point of the mission. So, uh, you know, it's really defining down really success in this long war to claim that an operation like that went flawlessly. And that brings me to kind of the approach of the White House, and you've been talking about this for a long time, about for a while, you know, we we saw this problem of al-Qaeda, and then we were told, oh, no, it's just core al-Qaeda, and we had core al-Qaeda on the run, and it, it seemed for a long time that, the White House kept dismissing everything other than, I don't know what, people who actually carried Osama bin Laden's handbag as not core al-Qaeda. Is that how we got here? Um, that's part of it. I mean, really the, the biggest um, assumption that the Obama administration has made, and it's really something that they hold a dogmatic belief or have uh, held dogmatically believed to, uh, is that basically anything that happens uh, by the jihadists, if they're seizing territory, fighting for territory, uh, fighting in insurgencies, anything along those lines, that doesn't really matter as long as those same jihadists aren't planning immediate attacks against the U.S. homeland. And if you go through the administration's rhetoric over the last several years, that's really the key linchpin of their whole counterterrorism strategy. And it's very short-sighted because, obviously, what the jihadists are about, whether it be al-Qaeda and its regional branches or affiliated groups or a group like the Islamic State, which is this offshoot of al-Qaeda, they're principally focused on seizing territory. That's their main strategic aim. And yet our our strategy, the U.S. administration's strategy, is to say that that strategic game doesn't really matter. You know, once again, as as a guy who's just, I, I get my news through the media, and so for a long time I, I believed, and it seemed to be, that al-Qaeda was very, very weak, and that they might plan a one-off attack, you know, an underwear bomber, a shoe bomber. Do they, does ISIS and what whoever these people are who are supporting ISIS right now, do they really control that territory in the same way that say, Germany controlled Belgium and France at one point during World War II? Um, well, in some cases, if they don't control the territory quite as firmly as you know, conventional military forces did. And, you know, so the World War II comparison probably doesn't hold up in some of the territory. But some of it, it does, and in large portions of it does. And the bottom line here is that the Islamic State has effective control over a broad swath of, ter- broad swaths of territory across two nation-states. Um, and the idea that that's not really a big concern for us, obviously, is sort of uh, foolhardy. But, you know, what the administration is trying to do, if you look at their rhetoric and look at how they're approaching this whole thing, they're trying to basically carve out the part of the Islamic State that is the immediate threat to American interests and try and deal with that while leaving the rest of it untouched by American forces. Um, that's really, I mean, if you just think about that as a warfighting strategy, it doesn't make any sense because you know, the threats to American interests flow out of the fact that the group has strengthened its hand across both countries and has uh, really, you know, seized this large portion of territory. The idea that you can just basically deal with the immediate threats to American interests and then ignore the rest of it doesn't really make sense from a warfighting perspective. Is that what uh, former CIA Director Mike Morell was talking about when he said he wouldn't be surprised if an ISIS-backed or ISIS-allied person showed up at an American shopping mall with an AK-47, attacks like that? 
Um, could be a tax like that. Could be something more sophisticated over the long run. I mean, the idea, you know, what's interesting about the Obama administration's whole approach here, the whole idea of counterterrorism in the Obama administration age is that just 10 years ago, the sort of the bipartisan consensus that came through the 9-11 Commission was that if the jihadists, including al-Qaeda, were able to seize territory and hold on to it in Iraq, that this would be a threat to us because from these types of safe havens, they can plant spectacular terrorist attacks in the West. What the Obama administration has basically been doing this entire time is pretending that that's not necessarily the case. If you go back to the rhetoric, they, they, the president himself has called that basically in a local endeavor. And that's what he said. He sort of dismissed that in the interview that was published by the New Yorker earlier this year, say this is sort of a local interest. And it's not, quote, unquote, something we want to wade into. So essentially what the president and his advisors have done is, is basically, in their own minds anyway, undo the consensus that existed just 10 years ago by the 9-11 Commission, that basically we shouldn't really worry about our enemies seizing territory unless they're immediately planning attacks against us. But here's the problem. You know, it's their ability to hold territory and plan attacks in that territory that went undetected the first time around. You know, that was what the, the problem was on 9-11. And the idea that we're going to necessarily detect all the threats that flow out of this territory going forward, I think, is really foolish. I was uh, talking to someone today who's very smart and very active in the media, but not at all focused on, you know, uh, the global war on terror or the struggle with the salmon. It's been very dubious about military action. He said why the expletive deleted won't we just wipe these guys out does america have the military power that if we decided that's it we're you know terror we can't solve the terrorism problem but we can certainly solve the isis problem as far as holding territory and having any kind of uh you know command and control could we wipe that out with the resources that we have or is that a, a bridge too far no we certainly could and it doesn't necessarily take require a big nation-state building effort, which is what really people, I think, are objecting to. They basically don't want to put another 100,000, 150,000 troops into Iraq and begin this whole big nation-state building project all over again. And I, I understand that. But the problem here with a group like the Islamic State is it doesn't require that to, to wipe them out. Um, the fact of the matter is the jihadis are insurgents. They're, they're fighting the war of the flea. Overall, they're pretty weak. And it, they're not going to be able to contest a U.S. Marines, a U.S. Army in straight head-to-head -head fights. Since 9-11, the jihadis have only won, really, a couple of those head-to-head -head fights against American soldiers. Every time we go right after them, that they lose. And this group in particular, you know, yes, they're very effective militarily. They're nothing to shake a stick at. They're, they're a very lethal and dangerous group. But there's no way they could contest with the U.S. military. Uh, I've heard some people making hopeful comments. They're watching, you know, uh, Kurdish troops and Iraqi troops on the ground fighting ISIS with America providing air power, for example, at Mosul Dam. Is that a model that could work to clear ISIS out entirely, or does that only get ISIS out of Iraqi territory? Is that a solution for the ISIS problem? Right now, it looks like it only can work in parts of the Iraqi territory. It doesn't even look like it can work throughout all of Iraq. There are signs in Mosul and elsewhere of uprisings against the group. But it remains to be seen without more sort of uh, fuller backing from the Obama administration, from the U.S. government, whether those uprisings can last and be successful. Um, you know, one of the key uh, dynamics here is that the first time around, when, when the U.S. was fighting al-Qaeda in Iraq and the Islamic State of Iraq at the height of the surge in the Iraq war, um, that the U.S. really provided the connective tissue and the leadership to bring all these local actors together to fight their common enemies on the ground in Iraq. 
And that's really missing this time around. The air raids and some of this, this cohesion around the Mosul Dam, which you, which you mentioned, has worked. But overall, right now, there's not sort of a more comprehensive pro- approach to really sweeping ISIS out of the uh, Sunni-controlled territories. And that's really what this is all about. Is, is basically, you know, can you just turn them back in a few locations and not worry about the, the broad swath of territory they do control? And the answer is no. So how do you go about getting them out of that territory? That's where I argue anyway. It requires more American leadership. You know, on the one hand, there's an argument that goes, you know, these jihadists, they've got the Sunnis on their side because the Sunnis are upset by the horrific uh, you know, governance out of, uh, out of Baghdad. Uh, they're upset by the fact that the Americans aren't there to help provide some balance. And therefore, if we crack ISIS, they'll just go, you know, the, they'll switch from one strong horse to another strong horse. Is that a model for success for the future? The strong horse dynamic is certainly part of the story. I mean, they're going to, there, there are, there are a lot of actors on the ground who are going to go with whomever the strong horse is at the time. But, you know, the bottom line is the U.S. needs to take a more active role in shaping these events, including sort of, you know, what goes on with the Iraqi government. You know, there's this idea that we can just leave the political solution or political uh, sort of jockeying in Iraq to the Iraqis themselves and really play a little role in that. But I think the story of America's involvement in Iraq showed that Maliki and other uh, Iraqi government actors you know, could be dealt with or barred with while we had a significant presence there when we were actually doing more. Um, part of the problem with the withdrawal of American forces is that it also left us with little leverage over the political dynamic in Iraq. Um, and so that's, again, an area where I think American leadership can play a stronger role to, to sort of shape the future of the Iraqi political system. You know, I was one of the people who thought when I saw, about, saw the horrific execution of, uh, of an American photojournalist, I thought, oh, this is a big mistake by ISIS because it's the kind of act that will cause the typical American to want to see us act, will maybe steal the White House's resolve, and you've seen some of that in the rhetoric. But on the other hand, I wonder if ISIS can keep us focused on small things like, are Americans safe in a consulate in Erbil, or, you know, are the hostages safe, that that takes the focus away. In other words, they could see a point where they give up the hostages, you know, they give up a little bit of territory where Americans, where the president can make a case that we've got to protect that one specific spot. And this White House seems to be content to leave them the rest of everything they have. Well, I mean, that, that's the fundamental problem here is that the administration is willing to basically look at it as what are the, the sort of near at hand American interests that need to be guarded and basically don't deal with the rest of it. I mean, that's basically been the policy in Syria for a couple of years now where the jihadis have only gotten stronger, uh, regardless of the infighting between the jihadists and the fight against the Assad regime. The, the, the threat of extremism in Syria has only grown. Um, you know, same situation now in Iraq, where basically the, you know, the extremists have grown and, uh, stronger and stronger since American forces left. The idea that you can just sort of look at the last sort of um, threat to the American interests or the most current threat to American interests and deal solely with that and not deal with the engine or the machine that's generating those threats I think is really foolish. I mean, it basically says that you're not really going to deal with the source of the problem. You're just going to deal with some of the symptoms. Uh, two last questions. One is, you know, whenever people play the World War II or Germany card, everyone goes, oh, well, that's, you're overreaching, etc. But I think it's safe to say that, that this enemy is almost as awful in many ways as, as uh, the, you know, the Nazis were. If you were going to use just the pattern of the war of World War II, where would you say we are regarding stopping ISIS? Is this, you know, pre-America's entering the war? Is, are we at Normandy? Where do you think we are? 
Well, you know, I put it this way. Ideologically speaking, in terms of what they believe and what they're willing to do, the Islamic State is is just as bad as the Nazism or communism or any of the isms you want to point to from the 20th century that had to be fought and defeated in various ways. Um, the only difference here is that the Islamic State doesn't have the industrial capacity, doesn't have the war machine that the Nazis had to create that sort of problem. They're still, even though they declare themselves as an Islamic State and rule over territory, they're still very much an insurgent. They haven't gotten to the point where they are a large conventional military force. But in terms of the battle of ideas, in terms of what they stand for and where they're trying to go, they're just as bad as the Nazis. What they want to do is they want to get to a point where they have that sort of conventional war machine so they can wreak even more havoc. Um, so they're, they're working their way that, that, toward that. I mean, you know, just think of this in the long horizon here. This, these are groups that started off as sort of, you know, as I said, the fleas, basically trying to wage insurgency against um, government forces, against American-led forces in Iraq and then Syria. And basically they've gotten to a point where the, neither one of the governments in Iraq or Syria can contain them. So they've gotten a lot stronger over time. Now, they're not to the point where the Nazis were in World War II yet, but they're trying to work their way there. And, and really it remains to be seen if they can get there or not. But the bottom line is that as an ideology and what they're willing to do, they're willing to basically do things even the Nazis didn't do in terms of, you know, kamikaze-style raids on the U.S., you know, suicide attacks in the U.S., you know, brutal acts of terrorism inside the U.S. These are all things that this group, this organization, this ideology, are, wouldn't blink an eye at, at committing if they could get away with it. And the last question, if you were advising the White House, Defense Department, et cetera, and they said, okay, what is the Tom Jocelyn strategy from here? What would it be? Well, I mean, we need to shift our whole rhetoric in terms of what's going on. The administration has started with the premise that we're not in a long war, that we're not fighting an ideology that's has a sustained life to it. Um, you know, you look at the president's remarks, even in the, in the wake of the, the horrible uh, beheading of Foley, and you see where he says, that, you know, basically Islamic State has no place in the 21st century. Well, I mean, this is ridiculous because they do exist in the 21st century. So the idea that this ideology doesn't count or doesn't matter because it's sort of not consistent with sort of, you know, the, the left-wing views of the world and the way things should be, doesn't really matter. They do exist. Um, and the bottom line is it's an ideology that's killing an awful lot of people. So we have to start to address that in those terms. What is this ideology about? And then build a strategy from there. Unfortunately, this many years after 9-11, we're right back to square one in terms of uh, trying to address the underlying ideology that's causing all this and really fighting the long fight. Tom Jocelyn, despite my lack of intelligence, I declare this podcast absolutely flawless. I want you to know that. Oh, I wish. <laughs> Tom Jocelyn with the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies and the Weekly Standard. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.